Anin sigua, nin anishinabe kwe onji pagan se gun ing. Kabuapagan onji ni mama, miskomanasik ikwe nindishnikas. It's wonderful to be here today. Thank you for this invitation. Justina's been talking about having me come now for a few years, but whenever I've come to Winnipeg, I've had a few other duties. And yesterday I had the privilege of speaking. Um, at the Mennonite Brethren Collegiate, somewhere there, um, at, a, at a conference. And so it worked out today to be here. It's wonderful to be on Treaty 1 land. And just to let you know a little bit of my story, I'm Anishinaabe, um, or Soto as the French called us. And originally our people were on this land here. And our chief, Chief Yellow Quill, is actually signatory to Treaty 1 territory. And as um, promises began to be broken, and as new settlers were coming and conflict was arising, our chief moved our people further west. And he made treaty with the Cree to live amongst the Cree, so we're surrounded by Cree, um, so that we could live there. And then he became signatory to Treaty Number 4. And he learned a few lessons from Treaty 1 um, that have changed what Treaty 4 looks like. So our chief negotiated two treaties. Today we are all treaty people because we made treaty in relationship to those people that came to this land looking for um, a new life. And so it's a wonderful to be here. And for many years I knew that this was home and recently discovered it's really home. There's a lot of deep roots um, that come with Winnipeg. And so it's wonderful to be here. This morning I want to share a little bit of a story with you. I'm going to take my glasses off, not that I can't see you, but so that it, the glare helps a little bit. There was once this warrior who was deeply connected with the great spirit. And creator would often speak to this warrior about how he should lead his family and his people. And the warrior sought to live peaceably with all people who came to live among them. And some new foreigners came, and he believed that these people were brought to them by creator. But then some tension arose between his people and the new people about how to live together in a good way on the land. Tension about their way of doing things, their way of thinking, even their language, their customs, and their relationship to the land and their relationship with Creator. Often, when this warrior's ancestors found themselves in similar situations, when they needed creator's counsel and wisdom, they would go on what we call a vision quest. And so in his uncertainty of how to respond, the warrior went up to his sacred place to pray, and he earnestly sought for some guidance. As the warrior prayed, if you know anything about the vision quest, there's, a day, there's three days of fasting that are part of this. And as a warrior went up to pray, he became overcome by physical hunger. 
but he needed to keep focus. And he kept praying, but his stomach kept rumbling. And he heard the words of his elders echo in his head, focus, pray harder. His stomach rumbled more and more. And so he said out loud to himself, focus, just pray harder. Soon, however, he was overcome by physical weakness and his body succumbed and he fell into a deep, deep sleep. And as he slept, he began to dream. In his dream, he saw the skies open up. And a large blanket descended, filling the sky from each of the four directions, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And enwrapped in this blanket were all kinds of creatures. There were the winged ones, there were the crawlers, there were the swimmers, and there were the four-legged ones. And as the warrior looked, he heard a voice say quietly, Take, kill these, and eat. The warrior, however, had never eaten these kinds of creatures that were before him now. In fact, his elders had always told him, told his people that those creatures would bring sickness or disease to his people if they ever ate them. And so the ref- warrior refused. This must be hunger taunting him, he thought. This could not be the voice of creator. But the voice came again. And the voice was challenging him this time. Do not call evil what I have made. Each time, the warrior refused. And the warrior woke up distressed over this dream. And he heard a voice then tell him that there were three men that were going to come looking for him. And the warrior stopped, pondered this for a moment. Three times that voice had come to him in his dream, and now three men were coming to look for him. His elders would often remind him that when things happened in threes, you needed to pay attention. You needed to be attentive to watch for creator's word. When the three men arrived, the warrior listened to them, And they asked if he would go with them to their leader. Now, there was some fear and apprehension that he felt, but the warrior went with them only because of what the voice had said. As they came, they entered a tent of the leader. And the warrior stood at the entrance with great fear and apprehension. And finally, he went cautiously into the tent And upon entering, he was welcomed by the leader with great humility and respect. And the warrior knew in that moment that creator was showing him the answer of how to live peaceably and honorably with these newcomers to the land. The warrior listened to the leader speak. And soon the community outside began to gather around them. And in that moment, the warrior realized that there were divisions that had once been there did not seem to be a barrier any longer as people were beginning to break some of their own rules and traditions by gathering in this way. 
protocol had been broken by the young warrior. And he knew that this was creator's way of bringing them together. Protocol had been broken by the community. The warrior then understood the dream that he had been given. He understood that this was the answer. This was creator's answer of how they would live together in a good way, respecting and honoring one another. This story is not a new story. It's a story of different cultures clashing, of different religious traditions at odds. In fact, it's in Scripture. God knew that this was going to be an ongoing issue and that we today would need guidance in that. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. As we look at this passage, there are some principles which apply to the relationship that we have in Canada between Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people. In Acts 10, we find Peter struggling with his own understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus as new people, as Gentiles, were coming to faith. And as a Jew, Peter had always been taught the law, and he followed the law well. And now Gentiles were coming to faith who may have never heard of the law, let alone obey the law. And they were doing things that Peter thought were wrong. They were eating unclean animals. They were not obeying the law. They were not becoming circumcised. And this for Peter was a real crisis of faith for him and for other Jewish Christians. But it was also a crisis of faith for the Gentile believers who were having difficulty understanding all the rules that were being placed on them. As indigenous people in Canada, when the missionaries came, we experienced something very similar. Rather than the gospel, the good news of Jesus' love and forgiveness, we received rules and regulations and expectations of how to live out our faith. Indigenous people have been told for centuries that anything to do with our culture or our traditions conflicted with Christianity. In fact, at one point it was actually illegal, and I often wear my regalia when I speak, and I said to my sister today, I'm not going to wear my regalia for a few reasons, but even to wear my regalia up until the 1950s would have never happened in a church setting let alone in public. To speak my language would have never been allowed. And so those traditions, those expectations, those rules that we had to live by um, as we came to faith. My friend Richard Twist said this, the gospel as it was told to us was God loves you. So much that he allowed his son Jesus to hang on a tree and be killed for you. But he doesn't like you very much. Your native drums, your music, your dance, your regalia, your feathers, your ceremonies, your powwows, your sweat lodges. And so in order to follow Jesus, you need to abandon your Indian ways. 
And he says, even in that, the gospel has brought shame to indigenous people rather than grace and freedom. Even today, the church struggles to know how to bring the message of Jesus to us as indigenous peoples without all the trappings of Western culture. I didn't say much today, but maybe I'll say it. When we come into church, I was going to say, you all sit in robes. Um, And you all sit nicely and quietly. If you've ever been to a powwow, we don't sit in rows. And there's often a lot of noise and chatter going on as community is being encouraged and celebrated. And there's a lot more movement. Because when we come to powwow, we dance. And so um, Justina tried to encourage you at that at the beginning. Um, oftentimes when I speak, I actually get you to dance with me, and we do a little dance, but um, this morning we won't. I'll save you that experience today, maybe next time. Um, so the trappings of Western culture, sometimes we're not even aware of what they are because they're, they're so dominant. They're just what we consider normal. And so we're not even aware of how we've imposed Western culture on other peoples. And so the very first step that we see in Acts 9 that we must take in relationship with indigenous peoples is what Peter did in Acts 10. When it comes to wrestling through faith and culture, um, Peter sets some good examples for us. Now I'm going to say Peter is more... Related in this story, not to indigenous people, but to non-indigenous people. So if you can place yourself in Peter's shoes this morning, that would be good. The first thing Peter did was he spent intentional time in prayer, and he had a willingness to think critically through the issues and his own sinfulness. And Peter starts off rather adamant, and perhaps even a bit self-righteous in the story, when he thinks about his beliefs and his stance on unclean foods. But then he begins to think through his attitudes and his perceptions more critically. In verse 19, it says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision. Now that word thinking means to reflect, to consider to ponder. In other words, it was more than just a passing thought. It was a deliberate reflection for Peter. And if you notice, it wasn't so much a reflection or or a judgment on whether it was right or wrong. But it was more a reflection about his response. What was he supposed to do with this experience, with this new revelation? Everything that he had been taught up to this point is being challenged. What is his response to that? How does he change or adjust accordingly? At times it's easier to make a judgment on things that we don't understand than it is to reflect on our attitudes and response. It's easier to make a judgment saying it's right or it's wrong than it is to look at ourselves. Oftentimes, the fear of the unknown prevents us from learning. It prevents us from growing. 
And I have encountered this a lot when it comes to our indigenous cultures and traditions. There's a lot of fear. And so Peter spent time in prayer, and he looked through his own issues and his own fear. Second thing is Peter listened to the voice of God. In verses 19 to 21, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And so Peter goes down, and in verse 23, we see Peter going with the men. Even when it doesn't make sense to him, even when it seems contrary to what has been taught, even though there's a lot of fear and apprehension, he listened to the voice of God. Peter's worldview and the tenets of his faith were being stretched at this point. And I'm sure that this caused great disequilibrium and inner confusion for him. But he was open to listen to the voice of God. I've experienced that disequilibrium myself. As I grew up in the church, I was adopted when I was about six, and I grew up in the church. And in the church experience, I learned that I had to choose either to be Aboriginal or to be Christian. And so I was rejected my culture, everything that I knew. But things began to change for me when I went to Bible college. And I began to rethink who I was as an Anishinaabe woman. But that caused great disequilibrium. One day in a chapel service, we had a missionary group come and share about their work on a particular reserve in Saskatchewan. And he told stories about how much demon possession there was and how dark and evil this reserve was. And that there was a real spiritual battle between him and the leaders. Little did the gentleman know he was talking about my reserve. I didn't know what to do with this information as a relatively new follower. And so I went to a trusted faculty member and a real woman of faith, and I shared my struggle with her. And I said, what am I supposed to do with this? And she wisely responded, Sherry, why don't we pray about it? And why don't we listen to what God is saying to you? And so in that prayer time, I listened for God's voice. And as I listened for God's voice, he reminded me that he created me, an Anishinaabe woman, and that he, what he created was good. In fact, very good is what he scripture says. He reminded me that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he showed me that he created cultures. And the good news of Jesus came in a cultural context. And that every culture has elements of good and some elements which are not so good. And I needed to figure out what was good about my traditions and my ceremonies. He also reminded me that he created me for a purpose. And I just needed to walk in obedience and he would lead the way. Through the years, I've sought to walk in obedience to God's leading. And I will say he's brought me on an incredible journey. And he's brought me to some very significant transformational points in my life. 
Now, without going into a long story, I actually should have asked permission for this next story because uh, my son is here. But without going into a long story, when my boys were young, they got very sick. And I needed some medical information from my biological family. And so I wrote away for this information. But I had great fear and anxiety with that because of all that I had been told about my family and all that I had been told about my community. I sent off the letter and I received a phone call back from my cousin. And then she gave me my sister's and my brother's names and told me my sister was waiting for a phone call from me. And so I phoned with great fear and apprehension only to receive a warm welcome. And she said, we'd love to meet you. Why don't you come out this summer? And so my husband and I were in the process of moving to Newfoundland and we decided that we'd go from Toronto to Saskatchewan first and then to Newfoundland. It's kind of like what the, the Hebrews did in the Old Testament, eh? to get to the promised land. Um, and so we went from Toronto to Saskatchewan, and it happened to be around my birthday, which was a really significant moment for me. But when I met my family, I discovered that what I'd been told was not accurate. And as I got to know my family, a lot of the stereotypes that I had internalized were being challenged and being broken. And a lot of the misinformation that I had was being corrected. And what I discovered in my family was a beautiful, rich heritage of very strong, resilient indigenous leaders, especially the women, who knew their culture and their traditions well. Now, I've come to learn more about my culture and my traditions, and I'm trying really hard to learn my language. But as I've learned more about my culture, I have been blessed with some incredible mentors and guides. And they've been very patient with me and teaching me and helping me overcome some of the fears that I had. And as I continue to learn from them, my relationship with Jesus has grown more holistically. And I found that the spiritual practices were not in conflict with my faith. In fact, many of the practices prepared the way for the story of Jesus. In Scripture, we see Peter, as he obeyed God's leading, God brought him to Cornelius, a Gentile, someone from the very culture he struggled with. Someone from the very culture that he judged based on the practices that he deemed unclean. And we find Cornelius shares his experience and his story with Peter. Now when we think about the journey of reconciliation, it's imperative that we venture out of our comfort zone and we listen to the experience of others. Sometimes listening to those experiences and stories is difficult, but that's part of the journey of reconciliation, to listen to the stories of indigenous people. In fact, that's what the TRC was all about, was to hear our stories from us, to hear our experiences from those that went through the residential schools. Yes, there's woundedness, there's pain, there's tragedy, 
And I find it interesting that it was the elders that went through this that asked for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The very people that experienced the abuse and tragedy want to be reconciled with the church and the leaders. There's woundedness, and we as a church need to listen to this because we've been a large part of the story. Now, sometimes people often respond with the statement, when will they just get over it and move on? When I think about that statement, I think it's actually more a reflection of the person's discomfort with pain than it is about reconciliation. We need to hear these stories, and we need to remember them often. One of my favorite authors says this, We want to forget the pains of the past, our personal, our communal, and our national traumas, and live as if they did not really happen. When this happens... We become strangers to ourselves because we cut down our history to a pleasant, comfortable size, and we try and make it conform to our own daydreams. Forgetting the past is like turning our most intimate teacher against us. Then he says, by refusing to face our painful memories, we miss the opportunity to change our hearts and grow mature in repentance. As Peter listened to the experience of Cornelius in verses 30 to 33, we see a change in his heart. And as he spent time in prayer, and as he obeyed God's leading, we see a change not only in his thinking, but also in his response. In verse 28, we see that. God has shown me that I should not call any man or woman impure or unclean. Peter's perspective changes through his experience. And in verse 34, he states, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. As Peter continues to be transformed in his thinking, there's a change in his heart. And then we see how this impacts his response to the Gentile believers. In verse 46, we see this. Peter responds by including them and welcoming them into the community of believers. Peter says, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he orders them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter recognized that the Gentiles had received the basics of salvation. It may have looked differently for the Gentile believers as they lived out their faith, but the essentials were there. When people come to faith, whether they're indigenous or not, it's interesting how often we get more caught up in the externals than the essentials of what salvation is really about. And so Peter includes them and welcomes them into the community of faith. He just doesn't say hi at the door and then go his own way. He actually includes them and welcomes them. Last thing is Peter was willing to invest in their lives. And we see this in the verse. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Peter invested in their lives. He was willing to take time to sit 
and to listen to the Gentile believers to help them figure out what it meant for them to be Gentile followers of Jesus. Peter recognizes the importance of a relationship and investing in relationship. For him, it wasn't just about doing something for them, fixing a problem or coming up with a solution, but it was about relationship. Staying with them. As indigenous people, we want you to stay with us. We want you to experience, to live with us, to understand. But we need your resiliency in this. We often talk about indigenous people being resilient, and we're asking you to be resilient, to increase your ability to tolerate discomfort in the conversation of indigenous concerns. A wise elder has said this, I appreciate... you apologizing. But we don't need your apologies. What we need is your resilience. It's okay that you're feeling weak and disoriented and unclear as to what to do. What's not okay is that you quit because of those feelings. We need you to be resilient and to stick in the game and to walk alongside us who have no choice but to move forward. We need your resiliency. Peter stayed with them, and in staying with them, he received from them. He received their hospitality. He would have received from them a place to stay, food to eat, and maybe even a change of clothes, as I think he probably didn't think he'd be staying with them too long. Oftentimes we think, in terms of indigenous people, that's what we give them. Shelter, food, clothing. And I find it interesting, in this moment, Peter is actually on the receiving end of this. What gifts have you received from indigenous people? Might not be shelter, might not be clothing. But we have gifts to bring to the church. We have gifts to bring that will encourage you in the faith. We have gifts to bring that will bring healing and wholeness, not only to our world, but to us individually and as a community of faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have created us in your image and you said it was very good. We thank you that you have created us in relationship with one another. And you know the history and you know the struggle that has gone on. But you have set an example for us in scripture that although there's struggle and there's pain and there's tragedy, there can be reconciliation. And you have come and you have suffered. You have taken that pain so that we can extend a hand of grace and that we can receive grace and mercy. And so we just pray that as we go about our daily activity, as we leave this building and we see people around us, 
that we may not understand their circumstances. We may not know their story. We pray that you would give us a tender heart, that you would help us to open our eyes to see what gifts they have that you want to use to enrich our lives, to help us to grow as you want us to be. We just pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts, that the word that you have brought this morning would continue to prompt us, that it would continue to niggle away at us so that we can open our hearts, that we can allow you to change our thinking and our hearts, that we would be open to all that you have to bring to us this day. Help us to walk gently with one another. Help us to walk in humility, in grace, and in truth. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.